Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Kibio, the place for split keyboards, DIY keyboards, get cracking, and Daily Clack, Australia's enthusiast mechanical keyboard store. Happy New Year! Well, today is, uh, well, I mean, technically it's still part of the New Year Festival, depending on where you are and what culture you may be part of or appropriate, depending on yourself, uh, or if you know, you're know you just in a multicultural pot and, and you want to hang out. Uh, it has been a heck of a busy, long weekend for us here in Australia because it was a double whammy being Australia Day and also Chinese New Year's in the same weekend. Uh There are some things happening at the moment in my current space uh, that will actually make today's episode a bit of a speed episode, a bit of a short one. Sorry about that in advance, but my wife is going to be out late today, so I have to go and pick up my daughter and also cook dinner and feed her and all that kind of stuff. I didn't really want to delay the episode further than it already has because I didn't do it yesterday, thanks to all the things that were happening with Chinese New Year's. Uh, Namely so, if you don't have a small child, routine is really important and small kids you know it's one of these magical properties that adults just seem to lose which is you can have the smallest of naps and you'll be recharged for hours we we went out for lunch on monday to my in-laws place as part of chinese new year visiting family and so on and so forth my daughter was completely loaded up with you know red packets and sugar and stuff like that, had a ball of a time and of course had a nap in the car on the way home, which meant she didn't want to go to bed and was very late by the time that she actually got to bed. So yes, uh, I have a very brief interlude right now to just throw a couple of things out there and, you know, make up for some kind of episode this week. Now, before, of course, we actually get into talking about some keyboard stuff, uh, I want to say that I drew the Keychron K2 competition across the weekend as well. You can see on the video who actually won that if you were one of the 17 people who entered. So congratulations to the person who actually won. I actually haven't packed it yet. I need to find sufficient bubble wrap to wrap it and protect it and get it out for you, hopefully very shortly this week. In other things that have been happening, I guess not so much keyboards and not so much just here in Australia, is the Wuhan coronavirus. Now, it's, it's quite a devastating situation at the moment. It's getting to, you know, epidemic proportions. Thousands of people in China are affected. It's now spread to different places around the world. Now, there are some concerns about it spreading through other means, such as through workers into packages that are being sent overseas and so on and so forth. Now, I am not a biologist or a microbiologist. I do have some very basic understanding in regards to that kind of space, just from my own education and general reading and knowledge. My take on this is, well, first and foremost, if you believe you're going to be in contact with people who may have exposure to the virus, especially if you work in a space like, say, my wife does, where there's a lot of traffic of tourists that come from mainland China, uh, you need to take appropriate measures. The known situation in regards to the coronavirus in this instance is that it is droplet contact through the mouth 
uh, nose and that kind of membrane thing. It's generally not an absorption through the skin and it's certainly not a sort of gaseous airborne type of thing. So if you wear a N95 or a P2 rated mask, it can significantly help because it will essentially stop any, shall we say, ejected particles of the virus, you know, from somebody's sneeze or cough and things like that from entering directly into your respiratory airways. However, what is very, very important is that you maintain your hygiene levels. So if you wear a mask and you believe it's contaminated, either take it off and don't touch the actual filter area and dispose of it straight away when you're in a, in a clean environment in a manner that means nobody else will be contaminated by it. Or if you do have to touch the actual filter components of the mask, make sure that you wash your hands appropriately. Now, look, my first statement about not touching it, you should still wash your darn hands anyway. Your hand hygiene, your face hygiene, you know, sterilize it, use alcohol, um, uh, sanitization, gels, and all that kind of stuff. Wipe down surfaces, you know, commonly touched areas and things like that to essentially reduce the risk of transmission of this virus. Now, this leads me back to what I was saying earlier is, well, how likely is it that you can be contaminated by something from, say, an item being shipped? So, technically, if the virus is in, say, a droplet because somebody sneezed or coughed over your keyboard that you've purchased from China, and they stick it in a box and in a package and it gets shipped to you, if there are right conditions for that virus to stay moist and to have a adequate supply of nutrients, then yeah, the virus could potentially be alive. Now, I don't know how long the shipping is going to take, and I don't know if it'll be a humid, moist environment, and so on and so forth. But what that does come down to is, if you're worried about it and you've received something that's come in from China, clean it, right? You know, I'm not suggesting that people are picking up their keyboards and licking them, but if you're going to pick up a keyboard and then your hands have been contaminated by whatever goodness it is on it, and then you go and pick up something like a sandwich and eat it, then yeah, there's a likelihood that you've completed that transmission transaction. So wipe stuff down, clean it, disinfect it, reduce your risk. Now for us here in Australia, we've had four, if not five cases confirmed across a couple of different places. A bunch of people have been tested. You know, going to work today, coming back, you can definitely see that there is some concern around the place because there are people wearing masks. But to be honest, it actually isn't that different to when we had a lot of that bushfire smoke. Uh, for me, I'm fairly comfortable with not using a mask at the moment. But I guess we'll find out if we start escalating in the number of cases that are reported. The only thing that's very disappointing for me is that, you know, there are people from the mainland of China who are deliberately trying to circumnavigate these uh, blockages and controls so they can escape and try and get better medical attention outside. That's, you know, that's not cool. That's not cool. So please, all of you out there, look after yourselves. Uh, now, of course, there is some impacts not just from a health perspective, but from a trade perspective, because, you know, flights 
have significantly reduced in the area. People are afraid of traveling there. People can't travel back from there. And the Chinese government has also extended the public holiday period. So if you're waiting for something to be shipped from a seller, or if you're waiting for some manufacturing to occur in China for a group buy that you're running or anything of that nature, that will also be delayed. Goodness knows what other kind of impacts and hopefully, you know, employees from all sorts of different companies won't be impacted to the point where these companies can't run or operate for weeks, months to come if uh, they are struck down by this virus. Definitely a really, really widespread kind of impact, not just for us here in the keyboard community, but in general, because China does so much manufacturing around the world. So, well, manufacturing for places around the world. Rightio, now that uh, that bit of soapbox and public service is out of the way, uh, I've really only got a couple of things because, like I said, you know, I do apologize. I haven't had the time to really go out and get digging and whatnot. But uh, just carrying on from last week in regards to the jog pad, I have a solution. I, I was actually able to find a solution all by myself. So I'm, I'm feeling pretty proud. But at the same time, uh, I think, you know, it would have been nice had my inquiries on the QMK Discord got some kind of peep, even if it was a, no, I don't have enough experience. It was just pretty much cold-shouldered, which is a bit tragic. Uh, so just to describe what I was talking about last week, on the jog pad, I had a rotary encoder fitted to act as a camera view change. It was, a you know, a sub-in for end and the delete key to rotate within the game Divinity 2, Original Sin. And what I was finding was that turning the encoder, it was very much like a, a stuttering kind of effect, and turning it rapidly didn't help it make any difference in continuity of action or stability, uh, smoothness. And through reading through QMK docs and whatnot, I was able to determine that it was most likely because the encoder default that they teach you how to use is that the action of each click rotation on the encoder is a tap function. So the tap function is an instant press and an instant release. And it got me thinking about the old school TMK style macros, because I remember using the uh, KB firmware website where you know, you could actually have a look at what it was doing in the background with the JSON files it was outputting, and you could record macros, and the actual hold time of the macro was part of it. And what I meant by that was it would actually say, you know, press this key, hold this period, release this key, right? So I tried to do that, but with the new QMK method, macros aren't recorded that way anymore. Macros are done through a process user process. And so I sort of kicked around in that, trying to figure out how I could replicate this press and hold function. And I came across the super macro, and it uses an alt and tab feature with a timer. So it says, if you detect a press of this, and then nothing happens within you know, the timer, 1000 milliseconds, then do this, or, if a key press is detected within this space, then, you know, output this. So it's it's a quite advanced kind of macro action. And I tried to program it and I got zip. I got absolutely nothing. 
and it was really, really stopping me. So I went back to basics and started looking again at the key codes and what it was doing. And I discovered that under some of the features that you can modify, I think it's in uh, keyboard.h or keycode.h or whatever it was, um, the .h file anyway, that when, and this goes back to the tap function, because the tap function essentially indicates press and release straight away, whereas you can actually call up commands, which is to press down and release. But I didn't want to do that because that would be a little bit more complicated and a single click can't call up the press and release because it's it's covered by the tap function. I hope I'm making sense here because it's making sense in my head, right? <laughs> but what it turns out is there was a specific line that gave me the hint that I wanted. And it said that for certain keyboard types, if your key presses aren't registering, what you can do is you can insert a delay. And so the tap code has a triggerable um, that you can turn on, which is tap code delay. And you put in milliseconds, which is essentially how long the key press is held for to help it register because depending on some keyboards and the hardware and you know components and stuff like that too fast a down up will simply not register because of just hardware related matters as well as processing and coding and stuff like that so if you're missing key codes you might actually have to extend the hold duration i was like i really don't want to have to reflash a lot and test it so i had divinity running in the background and i alt tabbed out and i was in vs code and I was like, you know what, I want to jack this thing up to a really long time just to make sure it works. So I put in 2000 milliseconds, which is two seconds. I saved it, I compiled it, flashed it, hopped back in, and I did one click. And it was amazing. It basically rotated my camera angle for two seconds. <laughs> I was so happy. So, so happy. Anyway, through a lot of back and forth, and tweaking i've actually got it now set to i think it's 200 milliseconds is what i've got it set to and 200 milliseconds is roughly a uh one sixth rotation so yeah uh one sixth one third one sixth no it's one sixth ish between a sixth and an eighth it's less than a quarter that's for sure uh so now when i click it it has this nice smooth sort of quarter turn, quarter turn, quarter turn. And so I can actually spin it nicely at a good speed and it will just rotate. And it does have a, a brief stop because it's the same as press, hold, press, hold, press, hold. But it's no longer stuttering. That stuttering effect has been reduced. I did have to reduce it down quite a bit simply so that it was actually small enough an angle to catch the views that I wanted. Uh, and, you know, if I need to, I'll still reach over the keyboard and, and adjust that kind of thing but I think at the 200 millisecond mark is perfect for how much I want each of the rotational moves to occur so you know that was a couple of hours of work and pay dirt for me so now that my uh, divinity 2 pad is working really well I think I might have to change the keycaps though the SA keycaps as nice as they are are sitting a bit high for me compared to you know how I normally have it 
with uh, my normal setup because it's not angled or anything like that. It's just flat. But we'll we'll see. Might play around with it. I, st- I still have spares, so I can still play around with it and maybe print a smaller wheel and put the actual jog wheel part in the dead center this time and so on and so forth. But options. I've got options. So yes, I'm, I'm very happy to say that at least I've solved that problem. Now, rolling on and a segue into that is that... Um, so I actually missed this particular topic or this post... Uh, six months ago, but it was revived in my line of sight by somebody asking about fitment of rotary encoders. And it's a great segue into this. And so somebody basically was just like, well, you know, there's like, how how does the footprints go into making a rotary encoder fit into an MX switch? Now, of course, the actual solution to that is it doesn't. You need a very specific rotary encoder footprint to fit a rotary encoder. But the interesting part was that somebody had actually said, you could try one of these things. And there was a link to a post from six months ago by Hell Money Warriors. I'm pretty sure I didn't see this. If I did, I do apologize. Uh, but they said, designed a new adapter for installing rotary encoders into MX switch plates. I thought, that's actually really cool. So what it is, is it's just a square that emulates the housing bottom component of an MX switch that allows you to screw in a what appears to be a standard EC11 rotary encoder and then you can shove this housing component into an MX switch plate. Now, you might say, well, if you've got a PCB, you kind of really don't need it, which is true. The only thing that this will do is actually fill up the big gaping hole through a switch plate. But then if you go on and read it, it actually says it was originally designed for hand wiring purposes. So I think they've got their bases covered. Uh, I can see from the line height of the print, it's actually quite a rough print, you know, probably a 0.3 or maybe a 0.25. But, you know, if somebody was to actually print this in resin and then cast a bunch of them, I think that would be pretty cool. And if they were made into solid colors to match popular, say, plate colors, you know, silver, black, uh, copper, brass, or whatever, red, and stuff like that, then it would probably help a lot just to keep that aesthetic rather than having that really big gap around the holes. So, yeah, bit late, but, you know, great acknowledgement here for uh, Hell Money Warriors and the design for this little encoder mount plate thingamadoobie. Hmm, good stuff, good stuff. Okay, so I'm going to talk very quickly about competitions because I'm watching the clock and time is a ticking for me. So uh, this month, January, I'm asking for you to let me know what your frustrations are. And boy, have I got some, some very interesting ones. But you know what? None of the frustrations that have been sent in so far are ones that I can't sympathize with. I can sympathize with every single one of them. And uh, one of them, I think, was talking about group buys and delays and stuff like that, which, you know, I'm starting to feel a bit antsy about. So, but I'll get to that in a moment. So, if you do want to participate, please send us an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com with your frustration for a chance to be in the draw for winning one of our three prizes, which will be a kit courtesy of Kibio, something from their catalog that's in stock, a 
dactyl or matiform case set thanks to DIY keyboards. And lucky third place is a The Board Podcast lapel pin, still exclusively only available throughout competitions or meetups. So, yes, get those entries in. You still got a couple of days before the end of the month. Now, frustrations and group buys and delays. Well, so I kind of mentioned a while back that I got in on GMK Firefly. It's the first GMK group buy that I've officially participated in as a purchaser. I'm very, very keen for it. I really liked how the renders came out and right now you know I don't know exactly what to feel because the samples are a bit of an issue. Now Amir who's running this uh, has been pretty good with updates keeping information and whatnot and so they've said now that during the interest check that they had ordered some RAL samples to make sure that they were available during the group buy phase so that all the colors could be compared. But the RAL samples were in back order, so they didn't actually have them. The group buy kicked off. They chose not to cancel the group buy and postpone it because, you know, it didn't feel like it was going to be an issue. So now that the RAL samples have come in, and for those who aren't familiar with what the RAL samples is, the RAL sample is a different set of color Uh, cards or specs depending on how you want to call them to say Pantone so you can actually purchase say Pantone sets or RAL sets where they've got cards with specific RAL numbers against them and in this case what's happened is these RAL cards or these RAL samples have come in and they don't match the desired color scheme for Firefly that is that is that is that is a challenge. So what has actually happened is the um, the samples from GMK match the rails perfectly fine, but the problem is the rails don't match the intent or the renders. Okay, so just just float this one through your head again. The GMK keycap samples match the color cards perfectly, but the color cards don't match the design renders and the way that it was meant to actually look so this is always a challenge because you might tweak something and you can get raw color samples in a digital context like you can look at a picture of a raw color card because they have them on websites right as part of like purchase this raw card or purchase this raw sample set so I feel like that's what's kind of happened is they've gone and said, you know, this RAL card looks great. This one looks great. Let's put them together. It looks fantastic. We'll go with these two colors. And this seems to be what has essentially caused the problem. So specifically is that RAL 5011 in reality is too dark. In bright sunlight, it resembles what we are after, but in normal indoors lighting, it is very dark near black. Basically, imagine GMK Phantom base purple, and that's what's happening with the color. So, I'm really glad that Amir is keeping people informed. Uh, it's 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 great that they're being upfront about it and the issues. Of course, it's going to be interesting to see how this comes about 
to a resolution. So they want to change peach to a more saturated peach color. Light blue and purple complement each other well, while not being exact matches to the expected color. So they're working with Dreamk to try and sort out how they can move forward with sampling. Committed and dedicated to delivering a set which is to their expectation, even though the situation to do so isn't the best. They don't want to compromise. First and foremost, don't want to let anybody else down. So, yeah. Uh, and, and they finish off. Rookie mistake of not having the rails in hand, even prior to interest check, let alone group buy. Take notes and learn from my mistake. Upcoming designers. So, so, so. Really great way of saying it. And I'm going to reiterate that again for anybody out there because there's lots of questions that are always happening on Facebook or in Discord or on Reddit about how do I get involved in creating a key set and running an interest check. Well, make sure you have your color chips. Make sure you have your color samples because it will be a lot of heartache just like what Amir is going through right now. Now, if you are going through GMK, you will need RAL because they use that German standard. Whereas if you're going through Signature Plastics, uh, Signature Plastics have their own color chips. But if you want uh, the you know color space matching light to Pantones and stuff like that, I think that's a little bit more challenging because they have to do, do mixing differently to try and match that. But I still have I still have positive thoughts and feelings. I want to remain positive because it is my first GMK group buy. It is my first Keyset group buy that this will come out okay in the end. I don't mind having to wait. I just want this to be a positive experience so that I can tick that off on my list of things to do, especially in the keyword community. So extending on from that though, while we're talking about key sets, the uh, the last topic that I'm going to squeeze in today, just checking the time, uh, is... Key set design choices. It's it's a really challenging one. And we've kind of touched on this topic a number of times across different spaces. You know, we're talking about like people who are specifically making keycap sets to accommodate certain keyboards or people who get upset because of, you know, somebody doing something that they don't like. So they design their sets specifically to not be compatible with certain keyboards and things like that and a really interesting one because Outrage Pudding who's been a long time supporter and fan of our show and is part of our Slack has come on to talk with us briefly you know just to mention that they found a really interesting and a negative sort of feedback on international kits right and so Outrage Pudding basically said that the French and Azerti keys in the international kit are missing the third Alt-GR characters. But the response has come back is that they are problematic with centered legends and tertiary legends are quite often omitted. That's, that's a really interesting one. I never really thought that it would be too much of an issue. And uh, Biparino said that it's intended because the legends would have looked way too busy with those incorporated. Hmm. Very, very interesting. So, you know, I kind of... Like, there's there's examples from uh, Outrage Pudding in regards to DSA Royal Navy 
the French kit that actually contains triple legends on spherical keycaps like DSA and looking at them I don't see a problem at all you know uh, it's it's just it's just strange I don't know but what it does really come down to is it's very much a designer's choice right that's that's really all it is right it's it's the designer's aesthetic that ultimately makes these decisions and it once again goes back to who do you like who do you not like who do you want to upset and what is the market that you're going for if you feel that your key set is easily going to smack through the MOQ and you don't have to worry about actually getting kits sold then of course you're not going to have to pander to any particular kit if you feel that you know your interest check isn't very strong and you will have to rely upon a lot of you know base kits being sold because you'll have support for other keyboards that require additional child kits then yeah you will need to have to play in those spaces I see both sides uh, of what's being debated here for the Wraith, I believe is, yeah, so Cam Wraith is is the key set in mind. And, you know, I do understand both sides of that debate, but personally, I would have put them in. I would have put them as an option because at the end of the day, if you don't hit MOQ on those kits, those kits won't happen anyway, right? And those people who are buying them, well, they want them to be able to make their boards functional. So if you offer them and the price and the cost and the complexity of making triple shot, you know, well, not triple shot, sorry, triple shot would be amazing. Uh, Triple legended keycaps. It doesn't matter if you personally think that they're too busy. It's the end user, right? You know, there's somebody... Who wants to type on French Azerty keys because that's what they want, but they like the colors and the aesthetic and you know the story behind the key set, you are essentially denying them their true self in keyboard form. At least that's my opinion. Now, I'm not saying to Biparino or any of the people involved in Camrate that they're wrong. No, 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 not at all. But I'm just saying that maybe you should consider the end user right like yes you design a keycap set or a keyboard for yourself right and i know that i've done that with the down bubble i've done that with the jog pad i've done that with a lot of things but i've also put into consideration that if it's not an issue for me and i'm not bothered by it like it's not a make or break deal why not incorporate it so yeah it's just something really light and easy to to think about right but in any case it is it is a stark example of when you love something so much you will be at the mercy of somebody else's design but then if you go you know what i want to make that happen you get into this whole quagmire of uh i can't recreate a daughter set for this or a kit to support this without having to get you know, permission to use these same colorways. Well, the legalities of that are obviously a little bit gray because it depends on who you go through, right? Because Signature Plastics has explicitly said they won't run them unless if they have permission. 
I don't know what GMK's stance on this, but, you know, it goes back to the whole Leviathan um, and Waves debate about the similar colors at the same time with different novelties and so on and so forth. As the community grows, as the community grows, you know, more and more of these kind of issues are potentially going to crop up. But I would like to hope, I would think that we are adult enough that we can resolve through these without getting into lawsuits and being petty about it. Because if you didn't offer a daughter kit, an international kit, you know, an add-on kit that suits some users and somebody steps up, creates that kit that you didn't create, then you should pretty much just go, okay, that's cool. Go ahead. But that's just me. Not everyone feels that way. So, um, but it would be nice if they did. What can I say? Uh, not much, not much else. So that's it. Um, that is wrapping up for me on this week's episode. I do, you know, apologize. It is a little bit shorter than usual. I do hope everybody looks after themselves, stay healthy, you know, uh, keep your immune systems well and good, keep out of trouble, you know, don't go to places that are suspected to be contaminated. Don't go and aggravate anybody else to the point where they're going to cough and sneeze and spit on you either. That would just be absolutely terrible. Absolutely terrible. So, yeah, um, what can I say? What can I say? If you would like to hang out with us here on our Slack channel, by the way, of course, just like every other time, please send me an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com and I will send an invitation out to you so you can hang out with us. And I did get a query from one of our listeners who was listening to us via desktop and they asked uh, if we were going to be on Spotify. I was very glad to let them know that we actually are indeed already on Spotify. Unfortunately, the Spotify search doesn't place us very high. So if you want to find us, you do have to scroll through the podcasts quite a bit to find our logo. There's a lot of podcasts that use the word board and there's a lot of podcasts that use the word podcast. (laughs) Otherwise, email me and I can send you a direct link to the show in Spotify as well. We're on a whole bunch of different mediums just to make it easier for you to enjoy these random rants about keyboards. So there you have it. Hopefully that'll keep you kind of satisfied somewhat for another week until uh, I can spend a bit more time checking out some topics. And of course, as always, you can email me stuff as well that you'd like me to talk about in a bit of uh, opinion or detail. Well, that's a wrap. Thanks very much for listening to this week's episode. And of course, as usual, until next time. Happy clacking.